0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. We're back with part two of Bernie and Psy from History with Psy. Enjoy.
2: After the fall of the um, Akkadian Empire, you know, that's the empire of Sargon the Great or the one he founded, we don't know too much about it. But then later on, uh, after I'd say about 100, 150 years, this area once again becomes part of another empire, the Neo Sumerian Empire which was founded by um, a man named Ur-Namu in the city of Ur. Gotcha. And uh, that was a that's a whole story different. I mean, we could go on about the Neo-Sumerian Empire, but it was essentially a, the successor state to the Akkadian Empire. Okay. They sort of did a reverse, whereas the Akkadians promoted everything Akkadian, including their language, the Neo-Sumerian Empire sort of did the reverse. They tried to bring back Sumerian um, as the official language. They uh, Basically anything Sumerian was in vogue, so various hymns, literature. They were really trying to relive the glory days of the early dynastic period of Sumer. But anyway, during this time, Asher uh, was part of, again, a small town Within the uh, the Neo Sumerian Empire, and uh, we don't know too much. We have there's some inscriptions um, from various governors. A couple of the, I think there is a statue or two. I think there's a statue of Ishtar that has been found, with also the name of I believe it is Amarsin, who is the or who was the third king of the Neo Sumerian Empire. Okay. Now whether it was something a statue that he himself sent to the city of Asher or consecrated there, or whether it was perhaps taken from somewhere else and then just brought to that temple as a sort of trophy. Uh, we don't know. So for example, the the famous law code of Hammurabi that you see in the Louvre yeah. that was actually found in the city of Susa in Iran. It was taken from the city of Sippar and for, I guess what, uh, 1200 years, Um, It was like a trophy in Susa. Oh. So, you know, that could have... So, an an item like this, it doesn't necessarily prove that Amar Sin or some other individual happened to be there. But um, most scholars do believe that, you know, there was a Neo-Sumerian governor, if not in Asher, then at least nearby, you know, in in the region. That sort of overs... That was uh, collected taxes from Asher. And perhaps maybe gave money for the temple. Yeah, they, they probably, I mean, there probably was, um, they probably did send money to the temple of Asher because, you know, in those days, uh, you know, the religion was polytheistic. And a lot of times these, in order to rule um, these very centralized empires, would also want to get the blessings of the local god of that region. So, for example, Asher, maybe he's a minor god but perhaps in this part of mesopotamia, you know, he calls the shots. Okay. You know, he's so you got to be in his favor if you want the people um you know to not be restive, if you want a good harvest, uh, if you want prosperity in that region, then you know, you also it's almost like you need that god's permission. Um even though you might be the mighty emperor down in the city of Ur and you might worship a completely different god that's more powerful, but at the end of the day, you know, you're on Asher's turf. So a lot of these kings would send, um, you know, valuable items to the temple. They would send statues sometimes of themselves to be put in the temple. That was seen as a a way that the king could also get blessing. For example, if he had a likeness of himself in the temple, uh, the priest there, they could they would pray over the statue and those blessings would then go to the actual king, things like that. So um, but it was probably um, a minor town within the empire. Yeah, and we would think they didn't have a big army, I would imagine. No, probably I mean, I'm sure they maybe they gave some troops or things like that for the local regional governor, but um but for the most part, yeah, it was a a, I don't know, a rather insignificant town. Gotcha. But then after the Neo Sumerian Empire broke down, so officially the last king of the Neo Sumerian Empire uh in the year two thousand four BC he was captured by a king named King Datu, who was the king of the Elamites. And that ended the Neo-Sumerian dynasty. It's believed that perhaps a few decades before that, other parts of the empire had already broken away. So what was essentially happening was there, are again, many different uh, hypotheses and theories. But overall, around this time, there was uh, there were tribes of people that we call Amorites, that were coming from the west and starting to settle in different parts mm-hmm. of Mesopotamia. Now, these people—they were uh, a stateless people. They were mostly pastoralists, uh, nomads, and according to the the Sumerian documents of the time, or from the Neo-Sumerian period, they were causing havoc. They were causing lots of trouble. In fact, the first, uh, well, the second king of the neo-sumerian empire he his name was shulgi he's believed to have built the first border wall oh that's awesome um that sort of basically you know stretched from one uh part of the tigris uh to the euphrates and i think it was uh it was completed in the fourth year of uh his successor amar sin's reign you know during his reign so you know that these people were you know Supposedly, like a nuisance. Of course, the border wall didn't work. Yeah, that's
1: what I love about it—the border wall. I remember it's like a 170 miles, 270 kilometer border wall. Keep the Amorites out. You could probably, you know, people talk about it today. Just go around like, it. How to
2: work for the Amorites? <laughs> for the- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you, just, you just go around it. It's because they're like, okay, well, you know what? We'll just cross the river at another spot or something. You know, maybe move a little further south and cross the river. And I mean, in, th- in those days, it was you didn't have satellite imagery to. Monitor people. Uh, yeah, exactly. Movement. So <laughs> I'm sure it was easy to find a way to cross. I, I think I did a little re-
1: research on this because this is where, cause when, cause where you're going to get it to. And I, I just wanted to maybe give my opinion and my thought and see what you think too. Sure. On the Amorites. So I, that's what I kind of focus on trying to read more, learn more and more about. So they're a Semitic tribes. So they're from the area, basically, right? It's not like they came from someplace out of the blue. They're sort of part of they, the area.
2: They're believed to have come from the West, uh probably what's now northern Syria. Mm-hmm. It's it's not been one hundred percent proven and it's also hard to prove because the term amorite it's uh there's several meanings of the word mm-hmm. actually. So in both um the Akkadian and the Sumerian language, the word for Amorite, in Sumerian the word is Martu. Okay. In Akkadian it's Amuru. Oh. Now Both of these terms, they could mean two things. They could mean either like an ethnic group, you know, a certain people from a certain area of the world, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But they also mean the uh, West. Mm -hmm. So as in the compass direction West. So it could have been simply something that meant Westerner Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, people from the West, for example, which means could be anybody from the West. Maybe they were from, say, the city of Mari. Maybe they were from, you know, maybe they were Phoenicians. Maybe they were from Ebla. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. Maybe they were even Egyptian. I mean, they that's, probably were a little I everything. A I
1: think that's what I. Now, this is of course my opinion, right? And it's, you know, I would have to do a whole PhD paper on it to get all the proofs and all that. But in my opinion, I th- I feel that they were like a people, like a not a patient, say a people. They're like a type of people. Like they were, they were pastoralists. I mean, they were the. They were herders, and they were moving around, and they were kind of probably always there. So you know how sort of when you go to the bayou and different places, mm-hmm. and they're sort of like you know they're they live in a different area of the state, and they're sort of backward or that kind of thing. I feel that that's kind of maybe what they were, and they because pastoralists like that will have one or two homes, or maybe they move all the time. But I believe the Amrites might have had a couple areas. So in other words, they take their you you take all your animals and you pasture them in the winter at one place and then you stay in another place in the summer or you pasture them in the summer i should say and then you stay in the winter and sometimes the the men leave and some women stay and in and this time like we were saying before there's climate change and then all these amorites i think are sort of showing up and, and it's not like nobody knew they were there because where did you buy cows and milk and cheese products from you know a lot of that's or at least the milk you would get them from these pastoralists that's sort of a the beginning of Israel uh, the Israelites, you mm-hmm. know, some of them were city people and farmers and some of them were pastoralists and then, you know, they they meet at certain times of the year. And that's my opinion, I think, with these Amrites where it wasn't like all of a sudden these people just had this massive population explosion, right? I think they were always there in the areas where they needed to do pasteurizing and I shouldn't say pasteurizing, where they're feeding their, their animals and then when there was some problems and when there was more of them, all of a sudden they started showing up at showing up at cities and of course you know they were they didn't really have a central government so of course they had to have soldiers and you know a strong somebody in
2: charge like a chief so Mm -hmm. I think you sort of think of them that way in my opinion yeah no no I think and I think you're right Um, I I think going back to what we were talking about before you had mentioned that there was perhaps a drought around you know this time period Mm -hmm. maybe around 2200 2000 BC and uh So what many people believe is that these people they were pastoralists because they're in in a region of what's perhaps now somewhere in Syria. Because um, it's interesting, there was um, if you look at documents from the city of uh, Ebla, there's a there's reference to a place called Martu. Okay, and then they mention also. I guess, a Lugal of Martu. Oh, big man of Martu. Gotcha. His name is Amuti. Okay. And he is, in fact, the reason I remember this is because I'm actually going to do a podcast on this sometime soon, hopefully. Um, But he actually, and under him, he has like a a council of, of elders. So in these documents from Ebla, there's this place called Martu. And you have, I guess, what appears to be some tribal sort of structure with a chieftain at the top. Mm-hmm. Now, they call him Lugal, which is the Sumerian word for king, but that's probably the only word that they had to, you know, designate the leader gotcha. of that place. Anyway, so then there's a um, there's another document. There's another. So Ebla had a rival city, um, or a rival that was another city uh, called Amar, and. There's in one of these documents, the King of ebla um is getting reports from others saying that that imar has and the quote is something like has destroyed Martu, meaning Martu has a land okay. and has taken their sheep, taken or killed their sheep uh it depends on how you translate that that line but um so that's reference to a place in Syria called Martu okay. Later on, there's also when if you read the Amarna letters, there's a place in there called Amuru. Now, Amuru is the Akkadian word for Amorite. So, if you take these two things, um, and there's some others, you know, scant evidence in other places, but if you take these two basic, uh, you know, pieces of evidence, these what's been written in various texts, that many scholars use that to say that the Martu were or the Amorites, were an actual people from this region. Hmm. And perhaps due to drought, they were just looking for greener pastures elsewhere. And so they started migrating uh, to, I guess, the center of civilization yeah. at that time, which was uh, southern and central Mesopotamia. So so they come.
1: You know what else happens, I think? i just real quick because I forget. You know what I think happens? I think people join them. You know, like how do they get such a large amount of population of a certain, you know, like we say, like a race or a, per, you know, a certain ethnicity? Where I think I have a feeling that, I'll be, kind know. of like the sea peoples. That's what yeah, we're... kind of like that. There's like people in the cities, and the how about you know, to eighteen year old boys, men who don't have a farm to grow on. and They're having a drought, and they're like, I'm going to join these guys. I'm going to go with these guys. You know?
2: Yeah, th- I mean that's that's very possible. Yeah. I mean, pick up some women. The sad thing is, is that. We don't have. Um, there's no like archaeological evidence of uh, the Amorites. Mm-hmm. So, so what I mean by that is, for example, there's no pottery shard right. that you that an archaeologist can look at and say, "Oh, this is definitely right. definitely Amorite right. or something like that." The evidence that we have of them is mostly linguistic Mm -hmm. so we know that they spoke a semitic language which was similar to akkadian Mm -hmm. but when you start looking at the akkadian documents after the year 2000 bc you start to see these you know clearly semitic but different words coming into the akkadian Mm -hmm. language and appearing in akkadian text so it's almost like um i don't want to say that you know amorite is a dialect of akkadian because uh it seems to have been a you know, different language in, a, in and of itself. But it would be like, for example, let's say you have Spanish as the, you know, as the language, mm-hmm. but then you have all of these Portuguese speakers right. coming in and maybe some Italian speakers. right? And so now the vocabulary starts to, you know, reflect a lot of Italian and Portuguese words right. within Spanish, that sort of thing. Yes. So that's what was happening to the Acadian language at the time. And, uh, Eventually, these Amorites start to take over this area. Now, before that happened, um, you know they were still coming into the region, but cities like Asher broke away from you know larger empires. In this case, the Neo-Sumerian Empire, okay. and became their own independent kingdom. And from that point, we have um, a king list that uh, that's that you know starts with a native dynasty of. Of Asher, As far as we know, remember before we were talking about um, other, you know, sets of 10 kings yeah. that were mentioned, for example, kings that were ancestors, kings that lived in tents. Now we actually have historically uh, verifiable kings that start to appear on this king list. And so for all practical purposes, Asher at this point has become a city state. And it's during this time also, basically the years from 2000 to about 1800 BC that uh, you know all of, all of this trading activity that we talked about that was going on in Anat- Anatolia you know how the city had become sort of this regional hub for goods from coming from Babylonia perhaps from further east from Elam you know and then moving on to Anatolia you know that's that's around the period basically this interim period between the Akkadian the fall of the Akkadian Empire, Sorry, sorry. No, it was between the fall of um, the Third Dynasty of War mm-hmm. and the next big guy to come on the scene, who was an Amorite warlord, named Shamshi-Adad I.
1: Shamshi-Adad.
2: Mm-hmm. In, in Amorite, his name is actually Shamshi-Adu. Okay. But in Akkadian, it's Shamshi-Adad. He's an important and figure. Become, he's Yeah, he's a pretty important figure at the time. In fact... Um, I think had his empire not fallen so quickly after his death, mm-hmm. I think we would have been reading more about him, but from the Assyrian perspective from you know he was uh he was a pretty big deal, yeah, so he was the son of um he was born in a city called Turka, okay, which is on the Euphrates in um in what's today Syria okay. And then eventually I think his father uh took over this small or maybe his father had already ruled it. Maybe he was I'm not exactly sure why he was born in Turka and not in uh in this city called Ekalatum, which was on the Tigris River. Okay. Very close to Asher, actually. But long story short, he becomes king of this place called uh Ekalatum. Okay. And uh he goes to war with a, with a Another city-state who is also amassing a small empire called Eshnuna. He's forced to flee from from Ekalatum. he has basically gives up his throne. He flees from Ekalatum and actually goes to Babylon, where he is the guest of um Hammurabi's father. Okay. Which I want to say his name was Shamshi Aluna. I forget his let me check actually. I want to tell you the right name but basically he is the guest of Hammurabi's fa- father he spends some time there and then when Eshnuna starts to fall apart he goes back to Ekalatum and you know takes back the kingdom and uh, instead of you know resting on his laurels he decides to launch his own campaign of expansion and so he conquers the city of Asher which again is I think no more than like 20 kilometers from the city of of Ekallatum, yeah. so he conquers Asher and sort of ends its independence. But what, from what we're told from various documents, he was actually quite uh, fascinated with the city. He had a soft spot for the city. He gave the Temple of Asher, you know, a lot of uh, funds to rebuild it, a lot of gifts, and uh, it at least from the documents of the time. Now again. You don't know. Sometimes, I mean, kings were very good at writing propaganda and what have you. But it seems that the people of Asher actually. Here's a cool fact.
0: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
2: If they weren't necessarily, um, you know, happy with being ruled by Shamshi Adad, they at least seem to have benefited from his rule because what Shamshi Adad did was he, he spent some time in Asher and uh, he he deposed the former dynasty and became you know one of his titles became king of Asher. but then he moved further to the west and established uh, his own empire. He conquered the city of Mari. He. Uh, Conquered the other, you know, various other regions, which were also inhabited by a lot of, you know, various Amorite tribes. And then built a, uh, actually, he didn't build a, I don't don't think he built a city, but he renovated the city of what was called Shubat Enlil Mm -hmm. and made his capital there. Okay. Now, the Assyrians themselves, they, I suppose, this was the first time when they had become, they had been part of larger empires before. But I think they felt a um, some sort of affinity towards Shamshi Adad, mm-hmm. which you know, because it's really interesting. Because even after you know, after Shamshi Adad passed away, there were four other kings, Assyrian kings, that took the throne name Shamshi Adad. Right. I
1: believe the last king so of Assyria's name is Shamshi Adad,
2: isn't it? Um, sure. No, I think that was Asher. Oh, yeah. Balit, the Asher yeah. Something I don't know, know as pronounced there. like you do. You know what? Actually, I want to let me check that. I I have a I have a king list. It has, I like think I should open actually.
1: It's um, it's uh. Let
2: me. I I always you know I always keep my uh, my, my king list handy for. Of course, you have to keep like your <laughs> king
1: list handy. Everybody, everybody can pull out your king list.
2: You know, it's like <laughs> that's probably what they did in the old days.
1: Yeah, it's Asher Ubalit the first, the second,
2: the second, yeah. correct? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. There was. A, there was an Asher Ubalit the first, who was a very, very powerful king too. Yes, but he was pretty old, um, I believe. He was. Yeah, he was back in the middle Assyrian period. Oh, all right. So yeah, there's Ash. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Assyrian kings that start with Asher. We have Ashurbanipal, uh, Ashurnasirpal. Um, it's funny every time I say Assyria. Siri thinks that I'm talking Oh, that's her. funny. She just beeped. That is funny. <laughs> um, yeah, there is I'm a bunch of see. them. I'm
1: looking through the king list now. There is a whole bunch of different Ashers.
2: Asher Nadi that's another one. Asher, uh, Asher Nirari, yeah. So there are, there are a lot of them. So yeah, he's the second. Asher Ubalit the second. Um, but anyway, but Shamshi Adad, he becomes a, a pretty big deal, actually. And uh, he... He's a contemporary of Hammurabi, you know, during his early age. And he's quite powerful. However, upon his death, he sort of... He left the... What was... You know, he left his empire to his two sons. One of them for sure was incompetent. Yeah. The other one was a little bit better. Okay. Um, and that one actually ruled in in uh, Ekalatam and also in Asher. Okay. His name was ishme Dagan. But eventually... I think he was probably forced to submit to Hammurabi when Hammurabi came in that region. So then, again, Asher becomes the uh, possession of another king from the south, in this case, Hammurabi of Babylon. And that ends its independence. Um, and, well, I mean, it was technically part of Shamshidad's empire. Oh, right. But, but he, uh, they
1: consider him, and they sort of like to adopted him as an Assyrian.
2: Yes because he's on the Assyrian king list. Yeah, he is. And he's not on there as a foreign king even though because and, and it's, it's it's actually a really interesting thing because there is a many scholars believe that Shamshi-Adad kind of rewrote the Assyrian king list oh. to show that he actually had the same ancestridge as the previous kings ah, of you know, of Asher in a sort of way to sort of like legitimize himself. Right. You know, so said that, oh, well, you know what? We have the same ancestor. Yes. Um, and he goes back. And so due to that, he's considered, a you know, the rightful king of Assyria in addition to all the other places that he took. But But he's not treated as a foreign conqueror. So, for example, whereas perhaps, you know, Hammurabi, his empire took over, and maybe there was a local king that was ruling on his behalf. Hammurabi is still not considered a king of Assyria. Shamshi Adad was gotcha. like he is firmly in the list, and I suppose he must have been a, you know, a king who was at least respected by later Assyrians, later Assyrian kings rather, because again, four of them took his uh, name as their throne name. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's no so that's a you know interesting. So what year was thing. that when again, he became when he did what what year is that? For Shamshi Ad. Yeah, for So he, his reign was be, uh between 1796 okay to 1775 BC. 1796 to 1775. Mm-hmm. So and I have that because I have my king list yeah, I also yeah, <laughs> I have a list of but it on, not on the it. dates. You have your so, special uh, copy. So again, yeah, we're we're looking at eight around you know eighteen hundred. That's when we said that um, you know all this this trading activity with Anatolia was going on, and uh, you know to be honest, it probably still did even after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know we don't have as many texts from that time. Gotcha. It seems that maybe a lot of the volume had stopped had stopped. So yeah, right. But, uh,
1: and then probably some it's, of those people sort of became more native of that to- area.
2: You know, yeah, you figure you're you
1: 500 years, you're living in another city, you know, as, that's, as that's an Assyrian, true. eventually you become, you know, if, if, it's like people, we move, Americans move to China, Chinese people move here and after eight generations, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, you know.
2: Now, the, the interesting thing about Assyrians there is that they were seen as... Uh, they had a lot of status, oh, because there are other letters that are. It's really interesting, actually. They, they weren't seen as these like these little, Re, yeah, not a little. Sorry, that's the wrong term, but these these kind of. um, They weren't like workers. They, they coming were seen in. as as like wealthy. Yeah, it it would be like let's say like for example I don't know some like Sheikh from Dubai he comes to like Miami oh, okay and he decides to like set up shop there right. and and so you know everyone you know he buys like a nice big house like on the water yeah um you know he's throwing all these big parties right. that kind of thing and people you know they walk by they're like oh wow you know that that shake right. from that's where that shake uh you know from dubai he you know he lives or yeah, right. his family lives He and probably did we're good for business say, a, sorry they we're
1: probably good for business to have a syrian quarter in your town
2: exactly yeah you so know, just in general so the Assyrians were kind of looked they, they had there's a lot of prestige in fact a lot of the locals. Uh, Wanted their daughters to marry the Assyrian merchants Ah. because that would sort of raise their status, and I guess. See, there you go. That's how they would have mixed
1: in everything too. I I thought that I thought they must have been in a good status just from the letter the beginning. You know, but thinking that with a one lady, she needed two. She needed two thirds of a pound of silver. That doesn't sound like nothing, and Mm -hmm. also um, just the fact that she was writing.
2: Yeah, you know? it wasn't like there was just were, a safari-
1: guy was there being a like a wage laborer
2: exactly they were you know they they generally had their own like you know um, so they had these different joint stock companies and amazing um, I guess you could call I wouldn't call them corporations but yeah. they were little you know they, they were family enterprises yeah. but you had different branches so for example, perhaps you, you would have a father and he had three sons so one son would stay in Asher. One would be in a place like Kanesh, yeah. Maybe one would be in another city somewhere else, but uh, they were, you know, they were, and they had their servants. They had people that they employed, of course. And I guess the guy in Kanesh probably he's like, okay, well, I'm, uh, I come from a good family, I have status, uh, I have money, so they these become like the new elites yeah. in their new kind of like the jet setters you could say right uh, and their, they probably do
1: travel back and, and forth a little bit I'm some you know of their trade I'm sure they they did some traveling even though they had their contacts that met them there that's really interesting that how they were started as traders because Dan always says when we talk about the Assyrians how they were traders first and, and when you do when you look at maps and you wonder why certain syrian emperors and the neo-syrian are doing certain things it is a lot to keep the trade routes open you know to egypt and keep the trades or routes open to the mediterranean and that kind of thing and you know into anatolia i know they do conquer because they conquer but it's kind of like the romans too like keep conquer, you know if they how do the romans always the romans said they won all their empire from a defensive wars right But I know, like even in the issues they had with the with with Judah and Israel, was a lot of about trade and keeping the trade routes open and that kind of thing.
2: Correct. Yeah. I I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's nice to conquer and you know get the glory from that. But I guess you need to sustain that, and the way you sustain that is through trade and commerce. Exactly. So, so they were originally the Assyrians started
1: off as traders and they ended up as traders not with the t-o-r traders and i was wondering when Samsia Dad, you know conquered the city and all. i wonder if by then they probably had a wall do we know when they started
2: building the first walls of asher oh you mean the city yeah wall? yeah i'm sure they had a they had a wall before him i'm you sure think? Yeah, i just wonder because if they,
1: they had a wall like when they were five, a village of five thousand you know that kind of thing they just had a wood wall wow.
2: I, I'm sure they had something because I think s- walls were pretty standard. Um, even towns like less than five thousand people, okay. you would have um, you know, maybe a village of five hundred wouldn't have one. Yeah, have, to have think, some you know, kind of a wall. Once you got over a few thousand people, having a wall was almost a necessity because there, you know, there was just it's just it was dangerous. I mean, I could go on and
1: on about walls because I think about it, but I will just quick since we saw – I think like okay, let me go on for a little bit. So like. Catahoyic, they don't think, had a wall. Maybe they'll find they did. That was, you know, that's 7,000 B.C. They didn't really have a wall. That was, they had like 77,000, 8,000 inhabitants. And I know like Jericho had a wall, but they weren't sure if it's for defense or not. But I think like even if there wasn't giant armies, you could still have like 10 idiots, like 10 jerks just come in and mess up your town. (laughs) <laughs> on horses or just come, you know? So I think they must have had some kind of a wall. You just, even if it wasn't big enough to keep an, an army out, it was enough to at least keep, you know, raiders or just thieves, some couple of guys coming through town and just, you know, barge into the, to the village and just take a couple of women, sheep and leave.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think most of them by that time, you know, I think walls were pretty common because they were very, they had been very common, um, you know, even a thousand years prior in uh, southern Mesopotamia, all the great cities, Sumerian cities, they all had, you know, walls. In fact, we're told that how Sargon, when he conquered, how he had to destroy the walls, or he knocked down the walls. Right, pulled the walls
1: down, because that's, you know, if you're going to be part, like, you know, there's not a wall around New York City, part of the country. There's no, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I just wondered how long ago, you know, when it was real small, but yeah, they must have had some sort of a walls, and then as the years went, they must have been Building them up, I imagine when Samsia Adad conquered it, they didn't have, you know, the giant like the giant walls they would eventually have.
2: No, no, they're they're so small, right? So, right. I'm, but uh, so
1: then, so then, so so we'll pro, we'll probably get close to wrapping it up. So Samsia Adad is he's not their first king king, but he kind of is their first big time king. Could,
2: he kind of puts them on the map. Gotcha. He's uh, like. As prosperous as they were for their size, they were still a pretty small fish, you know. And the reason that we know of them, there might have been other towns like them, but the reason that we know about Asher and their trading activity is because of all the texts that have been found in places like Kanish in Anatolia and in Asher itself also. But, I mean, you know, all towns traded to some degree. It just happens to be that Asher was in a good position. But they weren't, for example like a military power right um they i'm sure they had theirs, you know uh probably their own little militia but nothing no, no, probably not like a grand army right or nothing anything like anything they like would like have that.
1: later or nothing like like babylon had at the time and i imagine at the time shamsi adad was sort of a warlord type of mercenary i, I envision him sort of the, i can't think of the name what was the name of the mercenaries on game of thrones Oh, the sellswords? swords? Yeah, well yeah, they call them sellswords, swords, right? But their name of that well, was like the golden oh, the golden company. Yeah, I think of them like like I think of them like like that.
2: Well, well he was a legitimate king. Now, I'm sure he probably hired people, yeah. you know, mercenaries because a lot of them did. Because he, even in those days you didn't have um like real professional armies. Right. Most of the people yeah. they I mean, this was in fact it was later on in the Neo Assyrian period that you had professional right it was professional soldiers rather
1: i always pronounce them wrong tp3 as we call him i think he's the first one to...
2: oh tiglath less Yeah. yeah mhm so but um, i just think of him like before... he or
1: maybe he was sort of a warlordish guy and then he became the king once he I th- he met hammurabi's father it's funny maybe hammurabi knew him when he was young and he was like
2: yeah and he and he definitely knew him later on because they there was correspondence between them huh. and they'd even they were, you know, they even had alliances with each other. Hammurabi knew his son, Ishmael Dagan, um, you know, supported him like in other, I think, I think he even sent him, uh, sent the son um, men, but that was more of a, see, Hammurabi, what people don't know about him. I mean, everyone talks about Hammurabi's law Mm -hmm. code and all this. That's like, that's such a small thing when you look at the man himself and how powerful he became he, that like this is this period actually is one of my favorite. Okay, um, because you have all these Amorite. I know I'm going a little bit off. No, the, it's okay. This this could be another. podcast. I was actually. I
1: was literally just going to say that this be <laughs> this could be our next podcast. But
2: but um, so long story short is that by the time or by the time of Shamshi Adad, you have all of these little Amorite kingdoms within central and southern Mesopotamia. So, for example, we we mentioned Hammurabi's kingdom of Babylon, but you had the kingdom of Eshnuna, you had the kingdom of um, of Larsa in the south, then you had Mari for a while, which Shamshirda took it over. Then, when Shamshida died, um, it became independent again, and there was another Amorite king ruling it. Well, I mean, another Amorite king, um, claiming to be the descendant of the previous Amorite dynasty. So, long story short, you know, all these kingdoms. You had the Sukalma of Elam, who was kind of also kind of uh, a little puppet master with many of these things. So, So the politics. So the reason I bring this up is because this was literally like the ancient Game of Thrones. Yeah. You had all these little houses, all these little kingdoms, all kind of vying for influence. And Hammurabi eventually ends up being on top, but he's very Machiavellian. And he uh, he plays one side against the other towards the disadvantage. So for example, for the longest time he's uh, allied with Zimri Lim of Mari. they fight in battles together. and then uh, I guess Zimri Lim, this is what I mean based on the letters, what scholars believe is that eventually Hammurabi he's conquering all this area. so then he's asked Zimri Lim, to send him troops so that he can conquer his rival, his Southern rival, Larsa. Zimri Lim by this time is like, okay, Hammurabi is becoming way too powerful. Eventually Hammurabi is going to come for me. So Zimri Lim kind of rebuffs him and is like, well, you know, I, I need my troops for my own, you know, I have people, you know, towards the West I need to deal with. So sorry, I can't send you troops this time. Hammurabi uses that as an excuse Uh to say, you know what, Zimri Lim, you know, he takes it as a huge yeah. diss, and then takes over Mari. So he's like, he and he burns, he he burns the city and destroys it, and and that's the end of Mari. Zimri-Lim wasn't there at the time. I think he might have been further in the west. Actually, he might have been campaigning in the west, like he said. But Hammurabi just sort of took that as an excuse to be like, oh well, you didn't help me when I. So Hammurabi's like know, he was a le- to,
1: definitely like a level above. He's the next step and. In- You know, the evolution of the kings of Mesopotamia.
2: He is, yeah, next level, exactly. Which is why I feel that um, we don't really hear of Shamshi Adad because he's so eclipsed. Hammurabi, who was his contemporary, just eclipses him in everything. There's
1: always in history. There's always the one before who comes before who sort of teaches the other. You know, who knows how much Shamshi Adad and Hammurabi's father, you know, taught Hammurabi of how to, you know, how to do things. Oh yeah, I'm. Sure. You know, like Philip the Great, Todd Alexander, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, Sulla yeah. and Marius, and and was it Morris mm-hmm. with 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 Caesar? You know, there's always that one generation before before that next. Yeah, that generation. kind of
2: sets the groundwork. Yeah, and then, it's
1: always through history. You know, the right person kind of comes, and it's so amazing. Of- I know we probably have to wrap it up, but I wanted to ask you another thing because we, we mentioned it, because I don't want to miss it. Cause it's kind of cool. I know you said sure. you said that. His one son was an idiot, right? And his one son was all right. Doesn't he have like some nasty letters to us? Didn't he write some nasty yes. letters to the oh, kids? Oh, my God.
2: Those are so fun to read. One of them was uh, Ishmed Dagan. And the other one was Yasma Adu. That was, uh, I think it's Yasma Adu. That was the other one. But so, but Yasma Adu, he, I think he was the younger one. Um, we're not exactly sure, but I believe. But he was the incompetent one I was telling you about before. The supposedly incompetent one and he was given uh, he was made the viceroy of mari and the surrounding areas okay. which is in syria and the other one ishme agan was made the viceroy based in Ekalatum, okay which also covered asher itself now Yesma-Adu and mari they're the letters that keep going back and forth Basically, Adu is kind of complaining to his father that, oh, I need this or I can't do this. And the father, Shamshi Adad, just just kind of, he's really frustrated with his son. And he just derides his son in all of these different letters. So, for example, he'll say things. And maybe next time, you know, we can actually go over read the actual letters. But he'll say things like, like, you know, are you a man or are you a woman? You know, you spend all your time with women. You have no hair on your on your chin you know meaning like oh, you're a yeah, boy oh yeah right
1: like you're a boy he's
2: yeah he's like he's like he's like look at your your brother Agan, who is leading armies and men into battle <laughs> and yet you are like you know i think hanging out you know amongst the women which i don't know if that means that he's just spending too much time in his harem right. like just as a lazy guy or if he or if he's really or like if a it's like boy. an insult to his manhood that oh you're not a man you're just hanging out with oh, right. you're not hanging out with your soldiers but you're hanging out with like yeah, he's saying you're like feminine, you're not, you're not hanging out like in your harem, you're
1: just like a real feminine type of man.
2: Yeah, kinda a feminine kind of man. Not a not a warrior Right. Not the alpha male that yeah, like, like bring
1: Python up. Like the king portrayed himself, yeah. Remember the king and the yeah. is it the Holy Grail? Yeah, the Holy Grail. Remember the king? has the kid the kid that's uh, he's in the castle and he sends out the he sends out the notes to the knights but they think there's a princess in the castle but it's the son he doesn't want to get married <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah it's it's like that, that's the the kind of thing cuz i mean as as uh, as you know as we were talking about before how these kings used to brag about how how tough they were sure. and you know how macho they were and just you know all the all the like i am i am the best i'm the king of the oh, universe course. the uh you know, no, like Enlil has given me no rival. Asher has given me no rival. You know, just basically. I think they and say stuff he like sees I'm the stable his son Genius. As like the opposite, he's like, "You are not worthy of of being my son because you are, you are more like a little girl than a than a warrior." And you know, it's it's you know, stuff like oh, that. Oh, that's amazing. But but when you read the letters, it's like you almost feel sorry for the son because he's just like. And and I, we don't know exactly what was going on. Maybe Mari was a lot different yeah. than Ecolatum But um How about if the kid couldn't read more... them
1: and he had to have somebody read them out loud to them in the court or something. What a nightmare that must have been.
2: Oh yeah, that's the funny thing. All the all of these writers were actually read to them. So so the interesting thing is that it's not even sure it's it's hard to tell if a lot of these kings were even literate. Right. Because maybe they were just spending so much time, you know, fighting uh, you know, out in battle, what have you? That they didn't really learn how to read, and that's why, for example, Ashurbanipal used to brag about how he actually could read. Right. He always
1: bragged about but- how he could read. Dan and I just talked about this because I we, I watched a a a, a presentation with Irving Irvin Fink Irving. Oh, Finkel, I love that right? guy, Yeah. And he said uh-huh. he, doesn't, Museum, he thinks right? the kings couldn't did know how to read. And it would make sense, because just think, like, what if the scribe was writing, the guy He was saying, you know, what are you, a little girl? You should do this. And the scribe didn't write that, or he wrote something else. Somehow you would want to check it, I guess, right?
2: Yeah, or they would be dictated, um, and then they would write them. Maybe but...
1: you couldn't really re- write good, or you couldn't read, like, you know, the best, but you could maybe pick up a couple
2: things i'm sure they had like as children they were taught basics exactly as as we said before in asher if you came from a relatively well-to-do family uh your your sons definitely were taught how to read and in some cases i think there's even evidence that even some of the girls were taught yeah there is evidence of that there absolutely is yeah, because as we said before, when the men would be away at these various trading colonies, the women would be in charge yeah. of the household in Asher. So that would be a skill, a very valuable skill for them to have as well. For sure. That's
1: probably why a lot so of think, them were literate too, if they were traders. I mean, writing was made for trade and they were, you know, leaving their homes and they probably, maybe more of them did did know how to write. So after Shamsi Adad, we say that, you know, Hammurabi t- kind of took over and made an empire and that was that. and. Mm-hmm. I just have one other question because I know we didn't really cover it much. Um, so we talked about Asher at this time. Were what the other cities there?
2: Which like other Nineveh?
1: Cities? I know. I know. Like Cal who was, made was later. there. Yeah,
2: Nineveh existed. It wasn't part of Assyria okay. per se, um, but it existed for sure. It becomes more more prominent a few hundred years later during the middle Assyrian period. Okay. Then it starts to become associated with Assyria. Now, I don't know if that's because maybe by that time, many Assyrians were living there. And so it just kind of became an Assyrian city. But then after that, it started being identified as a, as a, as a pretty important Assyrian city. It wasn't the capital because Asher was the capital up until, um, Asher Nasserpal actually moved the capital to, uh, to Kalhu, also known as Nimrud. And, uh, but until then, Asher was always the capital of Assyria. And then, again, from from Kalhu, it moved to uh, uh, when Sargon II came to power, he built his own capital, dur and Then that was abandoned after his death. And Sennacherib uh, uh, you know, made Nineveh the capital, right. which it was until the very end.
1: Until the bitter end
2: to the bitter end yeah you
1: know? so here's what i th- i think i think the hammurabi story would be a good story to do an eczema if the listeners could take us talking for two hours again and um yeah <laughs> yeah well
2: they'll, they'll probably we'll have to get we'll have to get them a map to take a look at because there's a lot of a lot of you know back and forth between different areas and I think a map would make it oh, easier. Oh yeah, so, <laughs> so if you,
1: I can. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have uh, Cy give me a good map, or it'll be whatever one so he can approves. follow along as you're probably one of his. I'll put in the link to the show notes, so we'll have a map that you guys could look at, and then um, and I and you know give us your comments on Facebook and whatnot if you if you liked our conversation. I would definitely suggest you check out History with Cy on YouTube. He also has a podcast too. Also named History with Cy. It's a YouTube channel. I mean, it's a okay, very so, convenient name, yeah. It is convenient, <laughs> the maps are great, and even when there's a battle, you got the arrows shooting the other guy, it's really cool. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like, think like another kudos. Oh, sorry, it's
2: video game, but I don't know, I was just saying it, lo- it looks like a you know, one of those old like Nintendo, it does. games. does kind of, it's a great, Not exactly. Though. But and but it's uh, yeah, I guess it no, I it's, think they're uh, great, it, it does the job, it
1: definitely does the job. And another shout out and another um, kudos I'll give to Sai is a lot of times when you watch. YouTube videos of these history topics, you know, you'll see, say they're talking about Shamshi Haddad, and then a picture comes up of like Ashurbanipal, you know, and you can see on the bottom, they're saying, well, why are you showing me this vase or whatever of this era when it isn't? But Sai is very specific and makes sure when he, you see a picture, that's what he's talking about, not just background of different pictures, you know, showing. I mean, I could, some people, I think they technically, I could just have a podcast and then just put background pictures, but he definitely puts the effort into it. I mean, and like you said in the beginning, it's a labor of love. I mean, it's a labor of love, and he does a
2: great job with it. So
1: I definitely suggest check out his channel.
2: No, thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you so much. Anytime. I mean, so and thank you actually for for having me uh, for on the show. I know this was. Uh, I mean, it was a lot of fun for me. It was uh, as I said, like for me, I just really enjoyed talking about this stuff. So you can start me off and your point would we'll just. End up somewhere. Yeah. I think we talked about a diff- lot of different things. We were we were actually going to focus basically on just Asher, and then we kind of went all That's around. That's how it goes and, when you talk so to it, Bernie. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, honestly. It's actually my first podcast, um, like like this in this format. You know, kind of talking to someone else. So it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it, and um, well, I think you know if we can do this again sometime, anytime you want. Yeah,
1: I think it was fun too. So if the listeners will have us, we will uh, we'll do it again. We'll do it again anyway. So hey. Just don't listen if you don't like it, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. We love the listeners, and so yeah, check out our Facebook page. Check out uh, Sai's Facebook page. Are you? you want to give us your any contact information or you know your Facebook page, Instagram, those kind of things.
2: So everything I have is just history with Sai. Okay, I know I wasn't very creative with the title, but it yeah, works. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's easy to remember. Yeah. So if you if you go on to YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, basically all the even if you, uh, for the podcast, if you go into Spotify, I believe it comes up. Any, any, all the, pod, all the, all, all the, the platforms podcast really. Apps, yeah. If you type in "History with Sai," um, I'm not on TikTok. No, me so. neither. My daughter is my. If toy you're girl. looking for me there, <laughs> I, I'm not there. I I can't really sing. So. Oh my God, Sai! Uh, we should
1: make history TikToks. That's the thing. We're gonna be millionaires. So we're gonna be at least having fun with it.
2: <laughs> fun for sure, yeah. yeah. I don't know about the millionaire part, but uh... that would be great, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the one. Uh, that's the one platform. Actually, I've been told I, th- there are teachers that are on there. Really, they're just short so little I...
1: videos, though. They're so short. But we have, we could like you know dress up as Dot or something and just grow out our beards. Yeah, and, you know... do all kind of fun stuff. So anyway, I won't keep everybody going. Uh, check out Size Podcast. Check out his his. Our Facebook page, check out his YouTube channel, check out ours, go to our Patreon, send us some money so that I could go visit Dan in Sweden in the next couple of years, keep doing podcasts. So I do appreciate the listeners. I appreciate Cy for coming on. I appreciate Cy for having his website and his YouTube channel that I could, with research and see you
2: guys again. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Uh, you know, and stay safe out there. Yeah. Stay safe out there. Bye.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us
1: out. Thanks, and see you next time.
2: Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.